It's great to be with you this morning, and uh, uh, I believe this is a crucial message for our time. Uh, I, as a young Christian, struggled uh, with these issues of creation and evolution, and uh, uh, I found it liberating when I discovered that I actually could believe what the Bible said about creation. And uh, so this is a an equipping, liberating, encouraging message, I believe, in our, our time. Uh, because we hear so much of the other view that uh, everything just made itself, there's a big bang billions of years ago, and we're just a cosmic accident, etc., etc. And uh, this is a view that's taught right through our society, in schools, universities, nature documentaries, national parks, museums, zoos, Wherever you go, you hear nothing but evolution, millions of years. Nothing about God creating things. The only place you hear that is in church, and not all churches. <laughs> uh, praise God for churches that believe the Bible like this one. But McCrindle um, <clears throat> Research does uh, research on trends in social things in Australia. And McCrindle uh, Research found that over half of Australians, 53%, say science and evolution is an issue that blocks their interest in Christianity. And a third, 34%, say it blocks them significantly or completely. If you share your faith, I'm sure you run up against it. Uh, people will say, oh, I, don't, I can't believe the Bible, I believe in science. Or... I believe in evolution or what about this or what about that? Who created God? And uh, surely you don't believe that Noah built this big boat to save all those animals and stuff uh, and so on. And so there's a scepticism about the Bible because of this alternative view that permeates society. Here's a testimony from Kenneth. Typical of the testimonies we receive, Creation Ministries International receives. I was raised in the church until my teens before rejecting it and declaring myself an atheist and agnostic. The creation evolution issue was the number one sticking point for me. How could I believe the Bible if it was wrong from the very start? And he came to faith in Christ through the sort of resources our ministry produces, somebody sharing them with him. And so he said, thank you and God bless. Now as a young Christian, of course, I did believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth but I didn't believe too much of the rest of Genesis. And uh, many young people in uh, universities and schools really don't know what to do with this and consequently do what I did, and that is try not to think about it too much. But it does have an erosive effect on your faith. It undermines your faith. And uh, it undermines a lot when you think about it. And I tried not to think about it, so I didn't really realise the grave consequences, although in my soul... I felt it because it uh, caused a lack of confidence in God's word. And so if we look at the big picture of the history of the world in the Bible. We see there are seven C's of biblical history. There's creation. In the beginning, God created everything. And then there's the fall, which we can call a curse. A curse of death and suffering came into the world because of mankind's rebellion against God, Adam and Eve in the garden. And Genesis chapter 3 and then we have the catastrophe of the flood, Genesis 6, 7 and 8. Talk about the flood of Noah where God uh, destroyed the earth with the flood because of the evil that multiplied on the earth by that time. 
And then we have the corruption of languages at the Tower of Babel, when uh, after the flood people refused to fill the earth like God commanded them, and so he confused their languages, causing them to split up and spread out and fill the earth like he had commanded them. And then we have the covenant with Abraham, where God promised that through Abraham's seed, his offspring, there would be a blessing that comes to all people. And of course that uh, blessing is the coming of the Messiah, the Christ, who would rescue uh, the people from their sin and pay the price for their sin. And of course we have the cross, where Jesus died on the cross for our sin and the formation of the church. We could add some extra C's here. And then there's another one which is the consummation of all things. It's a big word, but it starts with C, and it means the wrapping up of everything at the end of time. So here we have the big sweep from the creation to revelation in the Bible, the big picture. But you know, the evolutionary millions of years story undermines a lot of that. In fact, it undermines this part of it. Creation, the curse, the catastrophe, and the confusion of languages because it undermines the history of the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And consequently, young people indoctrinated in this evolution view, many of them become atheists. In fact, a survey in a school in Victoria recently, half of year 10 students said they're atheists. Now, of course, when you're asked if that means half a Christian, no, it doesn't mean that. The other half, uh, about half of the other half, said that they believe in the force. <clears throat> so that doesn't leave too many that believe in Christ, believe, in, believe the Bible. In fact, this guy, William Provine at Cornell University, was an atheist and a lecturer in biology, and he said this, he said, evolution is the greatest engine of atheism ever invented. <clears throat> See, evolution is not about uh, just a, a naive uh, uh, concept about how God created everything. It's how everything came to be without God. That's the whole point of it. It does away with God. And it undermines the Bible's history, its salvation history. If we look at the census, the Australian census data, uh, you know, one of the questions I ask is your religion and you can put in no religion. And uh, this is the census data for 1901 through to 2016. And we see there, by the way, this is the only graph I have, so if you don't relate to graphs, don't worry too much. <clears throat> but back in 1901 and through to 1960s, there's almost no atheists in Australia. When I was a student in, in high school in the 1960s, I think I knew one atheist. And then... Uh, in the 1970s, there's this growth, from then on, there's this growth of atheism, and the last census was even more. 43%, uh, I think, said no religion on their census. So your question is, what happened in the 1960s that might have contributed to that? Well, one thing that I believe is very significant is that in the 1960s is when they started teaching evolution to all students in school. So this is year 10 in high school. Uh, they started teaching evolution to all students. In fact, I was the second year in the school system in New South Wales where they taught evolution to everybody. And so people older than me, not too many of those <laughs> here, um, probably didn't get taught evolution at school and they're scratching their heads saying, what's all this about? But anybody younger than me has been taught evolution. 
And uh, you don't have to scratch too much to figure out what the problem is and why it doesn't actually fit with the Bible. Because those millions of years that they talk about, where are they? Uh, they're supposedly under our feet in the rocks. That's where the millions of years are said to be. And in the rocks are fossils, lots of fossils, lots of uh, remains of once living things. And those fossils are a record of pain, death, killing, disease, thorns, struggle for survival, suffering and extinction over hundreds of millions of years. But when we read through to verse 31 of Genesis chapter 1, it says God said after he finished creating everything it was all very good. So here we have Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It's paradise. I took the picture myself. And it's perfection, isn't it? But every scheme that wants to marry the Bible with those millions of years has to put those dead things under the feet of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And this is the picture we really have if those millions of years are correct. And many schemes have been invented to try and marry the Bible with the millions of years. Uh, the favourite one of mine, back when I was trying to work out how it all went together, was the days are long periods of time. Uh, you know, a day can be, a, with, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, I used to say, to my embarrassment, because that's not what it's about. And in fact, Genesis chapter 1 says, there was evening, morning, one day, evening, morning, a second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, seventh day, seventh day, a day of rest, basically a seven-day week. And when we read that, and I became a New Testament Christian, you know what I mean? Because I did, I was only been embarrassed about the stuff in the Old Testament. So let's just talk about Jesus, you know, and the resurrection and things like that. But uh, you know, everybody can believe that, can't they? <laughs> he says tongue in cheek. But we read the New Testament, and we keep getting referred to the Old Testament, don't we? First uh, Corinthians chapter fifteen, the resurrection chapter. We see, therefore, as an Adam all die. Oh, hang on a minute. That goes back to Genesis, doesn't it? Uh, so in Christ shall be made alive. Now, um, put up your hand if you're human. Oh, you're better than the first congregation. <laughs> you're about 60%. They're about 50%. Now, we're all humans, and we're all descendants of Adam and Eve, and we all die in Adam. What does that mean? Well, see, Adam brought death into the world through sin, through rebellion, and we have followed in his footsteps, and we, the Bible says we've confirmed what he did, and we deserve death for our own sin. But fundamentally, death and suffering came because of the rebellion of Adam in the Garden of Eden. And uh, so that's why we have death and suffering in the world today. So in Christ, you'll all be made alive. So you're automatically in Adam, and you've confirmed what Adam did by our own sin, but so in Christ all we made alive. See, Jesus is called the last Adam in first, verse 45 because he comes to undo what the first Adam did. So if the first Adam is some sort of myth or some sort of you know, metaphor or something, well, why did Jesus die on the cross? It just doesn't follow. It just undermines the gospel. That's why I talk about creation and the gospel. They go together. So there's only one view that doesn't undo all this and undermine it, and that is that God created everything in six days, just like it says in Genesis. And, um, but I was a bit obtuse, a bit slow learner, a bit slow to think about these things. And, but um, when you start looking at it, you really can't escape the fact that these are six days, six ordinary days. Well, they're not so ordinary because God did lots of stuff, you know. <laughs> Um, you know, we, I think one of the songs we sang a while ago about God speaking things into existence. 
Only, only God can speak things into existence. I mean, you can speak hate into existence, but you can't speak a physical object into existence. Only God can do that. And he, and he brought life into existence. You know, ten times in Genesis chapter 1, he brought different forms of life into being. And, and what's Satan do? He kills. He destroys. He's the murderer. You know, Death comes through him. Life comes through God. And I'm writing an editorial about that for the next creation magazine. But... Uh, Exodus chapter 20, when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, he wrote on stone those commandments. And one of the commandments regards the Sabbath day commandment to the children of Israel. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rest of the seventh day. And so God wrote on stone that he did everything in a week. And that's the basis of our week, the basis of the commandment to the children of Israel to keep the Sabbath uh, seventh day holy but as a young Christian I felt I had no option but to disbelieve the Bible because of the indoctrination I'd received uh, through, through the schooling and the, uh, and the university but when you think about it the guy at the university in the lab coat says the earth is millions, billions of years old take my word for it but God says I created in six days take my word for it ultimately I had a choice to make and the choice was to, to believe God or to believe the so-called experts at the university. Who are we going to believe? That's what it boiled down to. And I had a, a bit of a, uh, a wonderful thing happened. A guy came from, from America, from California. Uh, he was a biochemist and he spoke at the University of Sydney while I was doing my PhD there. And I went along to hear it. It's the first time I'd ever heard anybody defend believing the Bible from a scientific point of view and it opened up a whole new way of thinking to me I was effectively given permission to believe you know and there's possibly public people here this morning who feel I can't believe the Bible what about this what about that what about something else and uh, and I was given permission to believe that there's there's a way of looking at this stuff where you can understand that what God said is actually true it actually happened just like it says and um, I was, a, I was a bit slow to actually cotton onto this, but, but he recommended some reading and things like that, and I got hold of that, and over about 18 months period, God worked a change in my heart. And uh, I was praying one day um, in my quiet time, and these words came to me. <clears throat> are you going to believe my word, or are you going to believe the words of men? Uh, well, get behind me, Satan. No, hang on, no, Satan doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't, doesn't encourage us to believe God's word, does he? So where'd that come from? There's almost like an audible voice. Are you going to believe my word or are you going to believe the words of men? And I said, Lord, forgive me, help me to believe. Help me to believe. Maybe you need to pray that prayer today. Lord, help me to believe. Help me to get over those things which are causing me to doubt your word. Because that's, ultimately, this is God's word. This is God's word. Or I might hold up my phone and say, this is God's word, you know. Not the same thing, is it? Actually, I've got about seven or eight Bibles on here. I've only got one. <laughs> it's sort of helpful, isn't it? But nevertheless, sort of not the same as, you know, God's word. <laughs> anyway, one of the things that really helped me and has helped many people is to understand that when we talk about science, we're normally talking about experimental science or operational science, how the world operates. And 
this involves doing experiments and experiments in the present, they're observable, they're repeatable. And if you think the water doesn't boil at 100 degrees Celsius at sea level, you can do an experiment and test it, right? Uh, this has given us incredible benefits in, in, in technology and understanding how to cure disease, how to prevent disease. Mind you, we've got a long way to go, but modern experimental science has given us wonderful benefits. And so we all are rightly impressed with this science. But there's another sort of science which involves the past. It's called historical science. And so this guy here has a fossil in the present, but he imagines a story from the past. He imagines that this creature was to grow legs and walked out in the land and became our ancestor. Have you heard David Attenborough say that sort of stuff? Do you see that sort of stuff in the museums, nature documentaries, etc.? Yes. This is the evolutionary story. Did anybody see that happen? Can, can you repeat that? Can you do experiments on what happened in the past? Nobody saw any of that happen. See, it's in the past, it's unobservable, it's unrepeatable. See, science studies are repeatable, history studies the unrepeatable. What's it even doing in the science class? It's in the science class because everybody's impressed with this and they think this is the same stuff and so they'll be impressed with that as well. So it's a very effective way of indoctrinating everybody in this false view of history that says the Bible's wrong. Now think about this. <clears throat> dinosaurs. Who's heard of dinosaurs? Yeah, everybody. Now kids love dinosaurs and boys particularly love T-Rex. Especially with the, you know, the, the movie with the lawyer in the toilet and the tea, yeah, all that, you know. Boys love that for some reason or other. Some girls, but mostly boys. Now dinosaurs, they died out 65 million years ago, 66 million years ago, didn't they? Well, the movie says so, the museum says so, the textbooks say so. Did anybody see that happen? No. But my Bible tells me that God created land animals on day six of creation week. And he also created Adam and Eve in his image. He made them male and female. He made them on day six of creation week. It was evening and morning, the sixth day. Dinosaurs are land animals. They would be created on day six of creation week. Hmm, hang on a minute. That means that you're saying that dinosaurs and people live together. You mean Fred Flintstone cartoons are accurate? <clears throat> yeah, more or less. They had a pet dino, dinosaur, didn't they? What was the name of the dinosaur? That was imaginative, wasn't it? Pet dinosaur called Dino. Well, is there any evidence that dinosaurs and people live together? There is indeed. There's lots of artwork from around the world which show that dinosaurs and people have lived together. This is actually a part of a brass relief around a tomb in... Carlisle Cathedral up in the north of England in the United Kingdom. And this bishop was buried in 1496 and brass relief around his tomb in the floor of the cathedral shows a number of animals. He was a nature lover. So there's all these uh, pigs and dogs and, and fish and birds and things and these creatures were also carved into the uh, brass relief. What, is that, what are those creatures? They're incredibly accurate depictions of 
two dinosaurs, two different sorts of theropod dinosaurs. The one on the right from paleontologists today could have been Volcanodon. <clears throat> the one on the left is a bit unusual in that it has spikes on its tail. Now you know Stegosaurus has spikes on its tail, but that's a different sort of dinosaur to the sauropod. There is a dinosaur, sauropod dinosaur with spikes on its tail, known from paleontology, and it's called Shunosaurus. You're all about to say that, weren't you? <coughs> now there's lots and lots of artwork that show the people have seen them recently, in the last hundreds of years. There's a book out on the table. You don't have to buy it. Go and have a look at it, though. Uh, it's called Dire Dragons, uh, out in the foyer, out the front there, you can see it afterwards. And in it, uh, the author, Vance Nelson from Canada, travelled the world collecting art from, from Africa and Europe and China and all around the place, showing that people and dinosaurs have lived together. Artwork. Not only that, but scientifically found proteins, all sorts of proteins in dinosaur bones and even DNA in dinosaur bones. That should not be there if they're millions of years old. It should have decayed away. You say, well, hang on a minute. Why don't they just rejig the dates and say we got the, dinos the dinosaur didn't die out till recently? Well, if the dinosaurs are wrong in the dating, that means the whole dating system is wrong. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but they can't go there because it would undermine the whole dating system. So our ministry, Creation Ministries International, exists to help God's people in this whole area. And we have an amazing website. Doesn't everybody have a website? But how many websites have 14,000 articles on them? Or 700 videos and so on. Uh, this is an enormous amount of material and, is, and it's just freely available. And uh, it's difficult to remember the website. It's called creation.com. So you want information about creation, go to creation.com. Where do you go? Creation.com. I've said it three times, you remember it. So it's all freely available. And six days out of seven, there's new material. By the way, there's about 5,000 articles in other languages. About 40, other, over 40 languages other than English are represented there. And some of them, lots of material. There's over 700 videos, I said. But six days out of seven, there's new material on the website. And because people are busy, we make it easy by putting out an email news every fortnight. It's called Infobytes. And the email news is designed to give you a digest of the material that's been on the website in the last two weeks. So you can just quickly go down and say, well, there's an interesting article, I should read that. Or I know somebody would be interested in that. Or there's a video that I could share with somebody. And you can be really active, keep up to date with things quite easily. And so there's a couple there. Humanists in the UK want to make it illegal for people to repent from sexual sins. What about that? Yeah. Uh, dinos for dinner. Croc's Last Supper affirms Bible history. There you get a, a bit of a glimpse of the spectrum of material that's on the website. But here's the deal. You can get connected today. Uh, you're probably sitting on it. There's a bookmark which you've got to keep. That's a nice bookmark. And there's a nerdy little fact on the back of it about creation. Uh, and there's um, six of these, six different ones. And on the back is a QR code. Who knows what a QR code is? Yeah. So did you know what that was four years ago or three years ago? Probably not. Possibly not. Um, but anyway, this is nothing to do with the government tracking you. Uh, you can use your barcode, QR code scanner on your phone 
and it will take you to connect.creation.com or you can just type that into your browser and you can sign up for the Infobytes and when you do you'll get the opportunity to view a video which is normally $10 and that video is uh, creatures do change but it's not evolution which goes into more detail about some of the things I'll touch upon in a minute and so uh, do that. Now if you don't, want to, you don't want to do it online you can just uh, go out to the friends group folk out the, out the back there afterwards out in the foyer and you write it on a piece of paper with your postcode so we can throw rocks in your roof. No. <laughs> postcodes here aren't that good. Uh, who's here today because of Infobytes? You've got an Infobytes. Um, a couple of people. Okay. So basically you got notification about the meeting today because you subscribed to Infobytes. So that's one of the things we do with it. So uh, we don't sell information to anybody else either. So you'll only get stuff from us and you can unsubscribe if you decide you don't want to be involved. So risk-free. <laughs> so there's other material out there. I'll mention some of these later on, but there's a whole range of material, children's material, technical material, uh, everything. Creation Magazine is a key resource I'll mention further. Now one of the things that excites me, excited me when I discovered, rediscovered creation was to realise uh, I was working on lychees and mangoes and custard apples and all sorts of fruit trees in my research career and I discovered that the first thing God created were fruit trees in Genesis in day three of creation week and here's a mango tree and it says there God created fruit trees producing fruit with seed in them after their kind. Now this is not a difficult concept it means that when you plant a mango seed you get another mango tree or well, a few years down the track you do. So and ten times in Genesis chapter one it says God made different kinds of living things after their kind. You know, wolves produce wolves and dog and uh, cattle produce cattle and people produce people. And it's the most established principle of biology that everybody understands from the youngest child that when mummy goes to hospital to have a baby or auntie goes to hospital to have a baby, she has a human baby. <clears throat> but you know, the evolutionary story is that no, things don't reproduce true to their kind, they change into other things given enough time. And here it is here, where do we come from? Once we were worms, so it goes. The evolutionary story, worms change into people and dinosaurs and fish and snakes and cattle. Everything with a backbone came from worms. Now not that you have worms, <coughs> but that you were a worm several hundred million years ago. Now we see evidence of varieties of people varieties of frogs, varieties of horses, different species of horses and frogs, different species of palm trees and things. We don't see any evidence of one kind changing into another. And in fact, what's been discovered by operational science, that good experimental science, undermines the idea that natural processes could create the things we find in living things. And this is an example of some of the incredible machinery that's being discovered inside our cells. This is actually a, an animation of a thing called kinesin or kinesin, which is like a walking motor. 
and it walks around a road network inside our cells made of proteins called microtubules and these are carrying a bag of proteins and these bags of proteins are to be delivered to a particular destination. Now our bodies can make over a million proteins, not quite sure how many, different cells make different proteins, but proteins are needed in certain locations in yourself. They might be needed in the mitochondrion, for example. And if, if you've done year 10 science, you know what a mitochondrion is, don't you? Well, you should do. <laughs> um, you did label a cell mitochondrion in your exam, unless you failed. Um, but see, this is the thing that the proteins have to be, they're manufactured with an address label on them to say where they're to be taken to. And then the, the cell reads the address label and packages them up, packages up the ones that go to the same destination together and then takes them off to their destination. So for this to work or to be useful, you need proteins with address labels on them. You need to be able to read the address labels. You need to be able to package them up. You need to be able to deliver them. So you need the whole system has to work together. How could that just happen by accidental changes to the information in a bacterium that doesn't have this delivery system to generate something which does, like us? It's not possible. It's just not possible. And this is just one of the many things that are being discovered today, call it nanotechnology, you know, tiny, tiny technology. And uh, the, the engineer who masterminded this is far above our ability. Who might that be? God, our creator. Our creator is far above us in his ability. And so we're coming along and to discover this, and we say, wow, and what are, the, what are the people saying at the university? Wow, how amazing is evolution? Seriously? should be saying, how amazing is our creator? How amazing is God? Praise God, isn't he wonderful? No, we've got an anti-God religion which has taken over our country, which ascribes to natural processes things which speak of the glory of God. Heavens declare the glory of God. Is that what the James Webb Telescope people are saying? No. They're trying to work out how the universe came to be without God. The heavens declare the glory of God. So, you've probably heard of the idea of ape men. You know, we came from worms, but the worms changed into apes, and apes changed into us. And you've Maybe this is our great-great-great-great-grandmother. Any evidence for that? Well, you see the stories every few weeks, it almost seems like. This is meet your newfound ancestor, a chimp-like forest creature, stood up and walked five and eight million years ago, Time magazine. Artipithecus Ramadus Kadaba. The name like that would have to be scientific, wouldn't it? And uh, I'm a bit of a sceptic, though, and I say, ask the question, well, that's a nice artist reconstruction, but how much evidence is there behind that reconstruction? Did they find a full skeleton with skull and all the limb bones and everything which show that's what it might have looked like? You know, you want minimal imagination. But when I went back to the paper in Nature, the world's top science journal, I was gobsmacked to find that it was all based on a toe bone. There's the toe bone. <clears throat> that toe bone 
they say in the paper, was slightly less curved than a chimpanzee's toe bone, so it's evolving, it was evolving towards becoming a human being. Now, you've probably seen these diagrams of a stooped ape gradually standing up and becoming a fully human type of idea. I've got a short video here, which we produced during COVID, which explains why this doesn't stand up to scrutiny. So I hope you enjoy this. Recognize this image from school textbooks, t-shirts, soda adverts, and everything in between. But what if I were to tell you that if we're to be honest with the evidence that we have, this picture should look more like this. Let me explain. On the left is what is believed to be the first ape known as Proconsul, and on the right is a human called Homo sapiens. But what scientific evidence is there for everything else in this image? The transitional species. Let's find out. We'll start with Homo neanderthalensis. You might know him as Neanderthal man. Recent discoveries have shown that Neanderthal man made and wore jewelry, played instruments, used tools, and wore makeup. We've even found that his brain was the same or slightly larger than the average human living today. In other words, Neanderthal man was actually just a man. What about Homo erectus? Recent discoveries have shown that Homo erectus made tools, engaged in artwork, spoke intelligent language, and made and sailed boats. In other words, Homo erectus was also just a man. Now we'll come back to Homo habilis in a moment, but first, let me show you something. Have you ever heard of Lucy, the most famous so-called ape man, paraded in our museums, one of the very first Australopithecus afarensis species ever to be found? But what does the evidence reveal? She had a skull that was sloped and ape-like, nothing like human skulls, fingers that were curved, not at all like human fingers. Toes that were curved, not at all like human toes. Wrists that had the ability to lock for knuckle walking, and a knee structure that was compatible with life in trees. So Lucy and her kind swung from trees and looked like today's apes. Lucy is an extinct type of ape. As we've just seen, Homo sapiens, Neanderthal man, and Homo erectus were all men. Australopithecus afarensis and Proconsul were both apes. Considering the ubiquity of the evolutionary icon, we'd really want to see some strong evidence for Homo habilis, the pivotal point of transition between stoop ape and upright man, between basic instinct and intelligent thought, between animal noise and intelligent speech. The only problem is, in the words of Ian Tattersall, Homo habilis is a wastebasket taxon little more than a convenient recipient for a motley assortment of hominin fossils. Other scientists referred to him as a garbage bag because the bones we have for him are a mixture of human and ape bones. In other words, Homo habilis never existed. I think evolutionary professor Bernard Woods sums this up well. Our progress from ape to human looks so smooth, so tidy, it's such a beguiling image that even the experts are at loathe to let it go. But it is an illusion. With the lack of evidence and agreement on the ape-human transition forms, why is this not happening? Or this? And is a better explanation that man and apes have always coexisted and reproduced according to their own kind, as stated 
in Genesis 1. So um, if that was all a bit too much to take in and you want to check the references, go to creation.com. It's on there. You can view it at your leisure and stop it and check the references and things if you like to do that. I want to say too that the uh, experimental science, operational science today, we know about mutations. We know what they do. They're destroying us. They're not creating us. But the evolutionary idea is that mutations create us. They create new information. But the thing is that to change a common ancestor of a chimp into a human in 7 million years, which is what they say happened, uh, you need to add information to the DNA that we have that chimps don't have, and vice versa. They have stuff that we don't have. And how much difference is there? You've heard the idea that we're 99% chimp in our DNA. You've heard that idea? Sounds like pretty close to 100%, doesn't it? You know, If you've got 99% your maths test, it'd be pretty good, wouldn't it? You know? But 99% is a long way short of being the same because we have 3,000 million letters on our DNA, chemical letters, and a 1% difference, therefore, would be 30 million letters. Does that sound like a small difference? It's a huge difference. But here's the rub. That's old information. Now we know that the difference is more like 15% or more, and that's 450 million letters on the DNA. It's a difference between us and chimps, a huge difference. Not a small difference. So here's the thing, that today we know enough about mutations and natural selection to actually run a model and see whether it's possible to change a common ancestor with a chimp into a human, uh, given assumptions that make evolution possible. And here's the deal. This is a paper published in a secular journal. It's called The Waiting Time Problem in a Model Hominin Population. Hominin just means human-like. Okay, that's what the evolutionists call us, we're hominins. So when they run the simulation and the computer model using all the best information and making assumptions to make evolution even possible, they find this. In, to establish a string of two nucleotides, two letters, required an average of 84 million years. And what time frame are we talking about to change a chimp-like common ancestor into a human? Uh, 7 million years, and we've got 450 million letters to account for, and here we have two letters in 84 million years. Sort of a disconnect, isn't there? So, in other words, evolution of humans from a chimp-like ancestor is impossible. So there are no ape men, they never existed. That's what experimental modern science tells us. In fact, <clears throat> Real experimental science means, shows that evolution of microbes to man is impossible. And every day, the evidence against biological evolution increases. Every day. I, short story, met a PhD student at the University of Melbourne doing, studying molecular biology, a Christian. And he said to me, he said, I cannot believe my colleagues who study molecular biology and cannot see the hand of God. Why can't they see the hand of God? They've been indoctrinated in the view that evolution explains it. They have no idea how evolution can explain it, but it must because the alternative is unthinkable. So ultimately, this is an issue of the heart. I mean, are we willing to submit to God? And if we're not, then you have to go there. There must be some way of explaining everything without God. That's what evolution is. 
and uh, evolution won't be given up. So, uh, this billboard in Arizona in the United States spells it out. This was put up by the Freedom from Religion Foundation. The atheists are on a campaign to get people not to believe in God. And their go-to is Darwinism, evolution. Praise Darwin, evolve beyond belief. And uh, there's a campaign in the last census to get you to try to get people to tick no religion box. You know What's that about? It's about political pressure to squeeze God out of the public space. So if they say that we have a majority of people are atheists, then Christianity is barred from being in the public sphere, in education or wherever. And so you can confine God to church and then we can get Christianity to die. That's what it's about. So how do we explain the rocks and the fossils without the millions of years? And that was the thing that opened things up for me because I read a book called The Genesis Flood. The flood is a key to understanding the real history of the world. We think about Noah's Ark and he built this massive boat. It was a, a huge boat. It could carry um, 16,000 animals approximately. It was a massive boat. See the people for scale. If there was a flood like the Bible talks about, there would be lots of evidence for it because you can't have a global flood without reshaping the earth because at high latitudes you can model that the water would be flowing at up to 200 kilometres an hour. You know, sandblasting is 50 kilometres an hour. So 200 kilometres an hour changes rock into mud. And then as the water's circulating, because just like the atmosphere circulates, the water would circulate and slow down towards the equator, you would deposit the mud, right? And so you're making mud, depositing mud, making mud, depositing mud. And the deposition of the mud creates the rock layers we see around the world today with fossils buried in them. Because to create a fossil, you need to bury it in mud. Fossils don't, create, don't happen just by things dying. They have to be buried in mud. And so you find around the world lots of mud layers, which are now rock, which show evidence of global catastrophe. This uh, grey layer at the top of the Grand Canyon called the Coconino Sandstone covers 500,000 square kilometres of the United States, 100 metres thick on average, and there are sand dune structures within it which show that it was laid down under deep, fast-flowing water in a matter of days. And you find in the rock layers fossils. You'd expect billions of dead things buried in rock layers all around the world if there's a global flood, and that's what you find. Uh, this is a horse buried with fish. See that? land creatures, buried with sea creatures, lots of mud, and rapid burial. You find also, and I'm just touching on a couple of things here, right? I'm just touching on things, covering a lot of stuff today. But just to give you a heads up, there's lots of evidence out there if you go looking for it, like on creation.com through getting Creation magazine. So, for example, landforms. The landforms around the world are very hard to explain from an evolutionary millions of years perspective, but they can be explained from a flood geology perspective because the water would be coming off the land at the end of the flood initially in sheets so the sheet flow of the water would erode a lot of stuff that's been deposited during the flood and so you get the plateaus formed by this sheet flow of the water and then as the water gets down to the point where it has to channel it starts to flow into a bit of a dip in the land and as it flows in remember it's all very soft at this stage you get the formation of the valleys as the water uh, concentrates and flows in channels, creating the valleys. And so these landforms are all around the world, the Grand Canyon Plateau, and these landforms are all around the world. And just, just a heads up about some of the information, some of the perspective.
If the flood made the rocks contain the fossils, there were no geologic ages. That's what the dinosaur uh, stuff I was talking about says also. The geologic ages never existed. This guy does evangelism uh, with young people and schools and universities. Mark Carhill in America. He said, I'm an evangelist to go around and talk with people, one-on-one -on -one conversations. In my time talking to high schoolers, the number one answer I get for not being a god so they don't have to believe is evolution. It's the number one go-to for many, many, many people today. It's the justification for their atheism. And uh, scripture encourages us to be prepared with answers for people. First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who gives you, uh, who asks you to give the reasons for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And so our ministry is about helping God's people with the answers to these sorts of big issues, these big questions that people have today. And it's not that complicated. In fact, our ministry has a vision to see the Lord Jesus Christ honoured as creator and saviour of the world. Is that a good vision? So you can be involved in that vision. I'm sure the church here is involved in that vision to see the Lord Jesus Christ honoured as creator and saviour of the world. And so uh, we would encourage people to get equipped to get equipped with things like Creation Magazine. Uh, who gets Creation Magazine? A number of folk. Okay, I hope you don't just sit on it, you give it away when you finish with it, because it's not going to do much good on your bookshelf. I know they're pretty and that, but, you know, give them away. Uh, because it changes lives. Uh, children encourage the children's section. Now, it's been going for over 40 years, and our family had Creation Magazine in our home as our kids were growing up. And one of them, one of our boys had a a wilderness experience, you know, wandered away. And uh, when he came back, he said, um, said, you know, Dad, he said, I couldn't turn my back on what I knew was true. I could not turn my back on what I knew was true. And uh, that's, the, that's the thing about Creation Magazine. It connects God's word to God's world. And so that uh, kids, students, young people can be confident that when we read the Bible, we're really reading about reality, things that actually happen. They're not just stories, uh, especially in Genesis, for example. Genesis, Exodus, all the, the historical things that really happen. This is a testimony from Mum. Uh, our family are long-term subscribers to Creation Magazine. Your work played a foundational part in three of my boys returning to faith in Jesus Christ, all three. My eldest son is an engineer. He had to be sure that the Bible's account of history could be taken seriously in order to take the word seriously. Now he teaches school scripture in public schools in New South Wales. God bless school, school scripture teachers. Uh, this is from Jeremy. Your writings played a big part in me becoming a Christian. My older brother got me a subscription to Creation magazine about six years ago. So here's, a, here's an idea. Get a gift subscription for somebody. Yeah. So you can get magazine today for your own family for your own use uh, there are forms on the table at the back there you can fill in comes out four times a year when you subscribe you also get access to the free digital version uh, which you can share with up to five different devices each time you can share it with different people um, and here's the deal for a one year subscription you also get a free back issue of the magazine for a three year subscription you get your free back issue, but you also get a $15 voucher, which you can spend on anything you like out on the tables. So there's stuff you don't need to buy. So you can do that. You can give a gift subscription. That little box down the bottom there is a gift subscription. You can renew your subscription uh, and get the $15 voucher as well. 
here's the thing there are free brochures out there uh, this one here can you tell the difference between evolution and natural selection you know our young people are t given examples of natural selection and told it's evolution but natural selection is not evolution you can spend your $15 on the answers book which answers over 65 questions that people ask about these questions like where did God come from and how to know if it all the animals in the ark and where did the water come from for the flood where did the water go to after the flood what about continental drift where do dinosaurs fit into the Bible and so on. I won't list all 65 questions but there's lots of answers in the answers book there's children's materials like exploring dinosaurs with Mr. Hibb there's exploring geology with Mr. Hibb they teach mums and dads as well as children there's lots of videos there's actually a 12-part series called the Genesis Academy you can do it with home groups, cell groups, youth groups and whatever uh, half-hour video and then a discussion guide to go with it so what we're talking about today here is a big picture a big picture from the beginning to end of time and the New Testament in Romans chapter 8 verse 22 says we know the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now now God didn't create it groaning and suffering it became that way because of sin when people say, how can you believe in a loving God when there's so much suffering in the world? We say, well, actually, hang on a minute. God actually created a very good world. It became that way because of sin. Isn't sin bad? And should we be doing something about sin? Actually, God's done something about sin. Huh? See, that's how it comes together. And the verse before that, the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption why how through what Jesus did in the cross he came to undo what the first Adam did and so the good news of salvation in Christ Christ provides salvation from sin depends on the bad news of the origin of death and suffering and sickness in Genesis now why did Jesus go around healing people because sickness came through sin and the Messiah undoes the effects of sin actually it's fairly spelled out in Matthew very clearly so the big picture is the perfect world is destroyed through sin and there's a restoration in the future where there'll be new heavens and new earth this ties Genesis and Revelation together and there'll be no more death and suffering in the new heavens and new earth but Jesus came his redemptive work is to redeem the fallen creation that fell in Adam and of course we'll be part of that those who are in Christ will be part of that new heavens and new earth in the future is that something we look forward to? Amen, Amen, let's pray Heavenly Father I thank you for your goodness to us in Jesus that he came, that he died, that he rose from the dead having conquered death, having paid the price for our sin and so Lord I pray that you would encourage those who love you here today that they would be encouraged to be equipped to share the gospel with those who are perishing. Pray for anybody who doesn't know Jesus that even today they would bow their knee before him, acknowledge their need of forgiveness, receive that forgiveness, that they might enter into that eternal life, that abundant life that only comes through him. So I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.